up, Internet. We must fight this terror with the rule of law and not the barrel of a gun. My name is Matthew Kroll. And Norway's not on trial. You are. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film 22 July. I notice your uh, your tone's a little quieter today. Well, a little bit. It's, it's, uh, it's an odd. Uh, and I totally understand, by the way. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I could redo it and I could amp it up like a no, loud no, clown. No, 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 no. I, I, I completely understand. I think you're taking the appropriate, uh, appropriate uh, tenor for this particular film. Thanks for calling it out. How you doing, Shahir? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I, uh, I'm glad you you turned me on to this film. Oh, I turn you on all the time. Uh, to films consistently. I'm not always glad to the ones you turned me on to, but this one in particular. Um, we had a we had a we had a, a list of, of possibilities this yeah, week. Yeah, we're in that we're in that strange period where like there are big movies coming out that I think we we really really want to do, but there are gaps between them where it's like suddenly we're in this like this week for example we were in this you know we were like oh we could go see this and we've just got so many options of things that we think might be interesting. Yeah, and again our criteria isn't necessarily. Is this a movie we're dying to see? Because a lot of, I think a lot of times, there are some films, for example, I really want to see, which I don't think will make a great conversation. Sure. And there, you know, and then there are other films which I think I don't really want to see, but I think will make a great conversation to okay. discuss. And then, do, do you have that? I, I I always think about that. Yes and no. I mean, look, I am a talker. <laughs> I could I could nitpick down uh, literally uh, anything and try. I think make it make it interesting or at least have an enjoyable conversation to the point like even last night with extra credits we're doing this thing uh we're doing a book club every right. tuesday you can come at 8 p.m est uh and we're reading dune if you'd like to read that we read uh chapters five and six last night i think it's a total of like 17 pages like it's not long and we spent two hours on 17 pages right no it's not it's not so much that we wouldn't have anything to talk about i think what i i think my criteria is would we have an interesting angle on this that oh has, that other people don't that other people don't or they that is unique to what your and I opinions are. I think sometimes I I, I get the trepidation because a hundred percent I've been like, oh, look, even more in my wheelhouse, which I'm so sad. This is my wheelhouse. Venom. We're not right. really gonna do Venom, I don't think. But yeah. I've been asked by almost everyone I know, down to people being like, oh, I haven't listened to your Venom episode right. yet, and I'm like. We didn't do it, nor yeah. are we planning Venom, on Venom, it. Yeah, that's the thing. I have no, I have no opposition to doing Venom. I just, I, I don't, I can't see an interesting angle on that film that we would have at this point. Exactly. Though, though, to be fair, we both haven't seen Venom. That's true. And but, but at the same time, all of the articles that I've read about Venom, yeah, seem like they're trying to make a narrative out of something that is just sort of like a, an, an okay old feeling film. Right. Uh, and I don't know if I feel like jumping into that conversation, especially when this is where I'll sort of come back to your original question. I like the idea of trying to pick our films and being careful of what we actually decide to do, not because I don't think we couldn't, say, have an interesting conversation about Venom, but is there another film or another thing that either is more culturally appropriate or that we could get an even better conversation out of right. somewhere else? For example, in, in the case of Venom, I think I know it was kind of a joke that the that the film Life was kind of like an unofficial prequel to Venom, right. but I still think of it that way, and I think and and that makes that film interesting, and I think that would make an interesting Venom film. Oh yeah, and and maybe that would be our angle into the Venom conversation. I would have to watch them both back to back to make sure that we could make all the connections. Yeah, and but, I might do that maybe on my own. I might start my own zine. You don't know. <laughs> uh, 
but, but regardless, we we uh, we had in sort of an empty gap this week. We we are still working on our, our bigger sort of, <laughs> I guess you could call them tent pole episodes that we've been working on, <laughs> uh, which is uh, broader conversation topics like art versus uh, separating art from the artist and uh, violence on screen. Uh, plus, we still have one more uh, uh, listener requested review to do. Um, but 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 those take a little bit more run up. We're trying to get interesting guests for those. Um, and and this was just one of those weeks where we had kind of a, an empty week, and we we did have a couple of really interesting options yes uh but but i i kind of i wanted to talk a little bit about netflix right now because i have to say three of my most anticipated films of the year are on are gonna be on netflix huh. and i think three and, and it's it's really striking to me that three i arguably of the most interesting filmmakers on the planet are choosing to make their films on released on Netflix and that's uh that's obviously Paul Greengrass with 22 July which is why I wanted to see this film that's Alfonso Cuarón with Roma and that's the Coen brothers with the Battle of Buster Scruggs mm-hmm. Buster Scruggs or something yeah. Scruggs um the notion that they are now tapping in or they 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 have enough clout um, to attract directors of that caliber to do their next features uh, with them, uh, I think is really um, it's fascinating. It's intriguing. Um, I, I'm very excited about it. Uh, this the the backlash to it is is the notion that these films don't necessarily get a theatrical release. Although, in I think in all three of these cases they are doing a theatrical yes. they are doing a theatrical run. But if you're not that you know like. If you're not that invested in it, like why would you go see it at the movies? You know, if, if it's something that you're not excited about, like I am, right? Um, so I'm, I'm, it's Netflix is, is come a long way. And you say clout, yeah. I say money, uh, because and and that and again, this is not a I'm, this is not a, uh, a a downplay of anything about that. It's just look, if if someone went to any prominent director that doesn't really have a hang up about the sort of new technology of how this how how films are being shown and said, here's a bunch of money. By the way, you can do whatever you want with it. I don't see any director that doesn't have like that weird like Christopher Nolan hard line in the sand, um, which they they're perfectly you know right. Of course they can have. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair assessment. I think I think the balance of the equation feels a little bit more like here's the money to do the thing you want, yeah. and and we won't have any hangups about it. You know, like you basically can release it. And I think you know some directors would be like, well, I want to make it and have it seen. And other directors, I, you know, like in the case of Alfonso Cuarón doing Roma, I'm so excited about that movie because it seems like a return to the kinds of films like Yutu Mama Tambian, right? Um, that that he made in his early career. So I'm I'm I I what I'm excited there is like he's not tethered to like I have to make a studio film, I have to make it PG, I have to you know like make sure it's gonna, it's going to target this demographic. He's just like I'm just going to make the movie, right? Uh, and and that's what I'm excited about. So I'm uh, you know. Regardless, uh, the fact that a Paul Greengrass film was being yeah. released on Netflix fairly inauspiciously, you know, kind of just dropped on the middle. Of, uh, is today Tuesday? Today's Tuesday, right? Today's Wednesday. Today's Wednesday. Oh Get my God. the game, Shahir. Yeah. I know. Our weeks flying by. I don't keep calendars like uh, like one of our Supreme Court justices, but um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, no, I th- you know, like the fact that that in our in our assessment of like what are the week's releases, we go. Oh, there's a Paul Greengrass movie being released on Netflix tomorrow morning. We could watch that. Yeah, uh, I think it's a pretty great, uh, pretty great time. It's for a us. great time for people that are seeking out film. <laughs> I do worry. Well, I, I have I have a thing that I'll get into sort of later in our in our discussion of this film. But I <laughs> it, but it, this is I guess maybe like twenty percent of it. Like I worry about the audience for this film. 
Okay. Uh, and like, who will see it? Who needs to see it? When will they see it? How will they like? They, and with Netflix, especially because I haven't, I didn't see an advertisement for this at all. Yeah. Um, it never crossed my thing. It never, it, you know, whatever. I think Netflix's algorithm of what it shows you is a little bit odd, right. and I would say uh, slightly busted in yeah. a sense of like because I watched. Uh, an episode of Bob's Burgers, like I li- literally only get stand-up specials, right? Uh, in my like stupid thing that plays the trailer. Oh, and this is the other thing that if we're talking to Netflix, let's just talk to them. Uh, I don't want uh this autoplay nonsense yeah, on anymore. It. And Netflix, if you're gonna autoplay, mm-hmm. I understand you need to do it. Stop making every trailer for everything, be it mm-hmm. uh, uh a blockbuster film, a stand-up special. Uh, a TV show from 20 years ago, stop making the trailers the exact same cookie cutter style. It's, it's, doot, 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 words on the screen. Doot, 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 words on the screen. And I'm like, I was watching them all. I'm like, there's one person yeah. doing all of I, these. I would, I would, I would venture to guess it's an algorithm doing it uh, more than anything. Probably. But, but regardless, you know, the thing, uh, I went to the New York Film Festival over the weekend and I saw uh, uh, Hirokazu Kurita's new film, Shoplifters. Ah. And, um, and the thing that I was, I, you know, that question of like, who's going to find this film? The thing that I was, I was reminded of, because I don't go to the film festival often. It's expensive. It's out of my way. And I'm always like, I'll, I'll see these movies eventually. Yeah. Uh, is the passion people have for film. Like, that Shoplifters was a film that had an entirely sold-out screening, uh, you know, at the, New York, at the Lincoln Center, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very big theater. And, and uh, what was cool about it uh, that happened on the way, by the way, shout-out to my friend Zach for buying me a ticket. Thanks, Zach. Um, was that afterwards, there, we was walking out, and everyone wanted to talk about the movie. Mm. And we, I, you know, like, I struck up a conversation with two or three other people about what we had just seen to discuss it. And I was like, oh, people are excited about movies. Just because we make a presumption that, you know, like, shoplifters isn't going to like hit the blockbuster mainstream theater doesn't mean there are thousands upon thousands and an audience for that movie that are going to be excited about it they're going to talk about it you know like i tweeted about going to see shoplifters and i had so many tweets come back to me about people asking me about that film with see and there was like oh yeah just because venom is out and avengers comes out doesn't mean people aren't interested in seeing things that aren't those movies i think there's a sweet spot of con- of 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 internet conversation before it gets to pedantics. Right. Like, uh, for a number of people that are saying, it's like, so for instance, if a smaller film or, or, or a lesser known thing that's not being blasted across the airwaves 24-7 uh, with advertising comes along, then uh, people are still hungry for searching for discussion about that film. Right. And they will go on Twitter and Instagram or whatever yeah. and search hashtags and figure things out. And you tweeted about a film that other people are excited about, so they're going to actively search for other people but i do think that a lot of times like i bet you as far as real life people go <laughs> i bet you that more people tweeted about the film you saw and like were actively looking for longer periods of time than say people were looking for information on venom right. because venom the information's all there all the time you can't get away from it right i think my point there was that there's a lot of people that yeah were, that, you know there's more people than you would think or that you imagine. I guess in our head, we kind of come up with our own algorithms about like what we think will be popular and what we think won't be popular. Mm, head algorithms. <laughs> and, and, and there's a lot of people, you know, we're not capable entirely of like figuring that out, you know, just by our imagination. And it's much bigger than we would think. Right. So the amount of people that at least 
I see excited about Alfonso Cuaron's Roma, uh, you know, far outweighs people anyone talking about Venom. Right. You know, yeah. and, and so that's kind of, and I think that's cool. Yeah. Uh, with a, yeah, Netflix does have an algorithm issue, and, and I think it comes down to this um, algorithmic recommendation system. Sure. Which is that, like, do we want things that are similar to the things we've seen, or do we want things that extend what we've seen into other areas? Right. And and that's a really, like, can a computer figure that out? Well, so here's the thing. I, and I 100% believe this, and maybe my musical tastes are simpler than most. I have no idea. Right. But uh, Spotify, Spotify has nailed whatever algorithm it has to find me new music. And not like all pop. In fact, none of it's really popular music. Yeah. But based off of the regular stuff, some popular, some not, that I listen to, I when I go on there looking for a new track, I will always find something to put in like a playlist to replay. Like it, 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 it's um sort of like weekly playlist for you. Starts with like three or four songs you're familiar with, and then like here's some shit you've never heard. But it's always something that's in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I don't know if if I mean, I'm sure it is, but algorithmically, it's probably easier to figure out based on like beats per minute and like de- you know tempo and all that sort of stuff and and, and instrumentation mm-hmm. stuff. Probably easier to figure out a human's musical tastes more yeah. than their visual tastes. I also I also think music is easier in that there's not as much of a time investment on the listener. Yeah, that's you know, 100% like, true. Like, like it's harder to like get people invested in a you know 2 hours to a movie yeah. that they may only have a passing interest in whereas yeah. it's easy to get them interested in like that's 3 very minutes true. of a song. Uh, regardless, we are uh, we're, uh, 22nd of uh, 22 July is available right now on Netflix. And if you haven't watched it at this point, it, uh, you, most of you, I'm I'm sure, listening in have a Netflix account. You can and worldwide will have access to this film. That's the other great thing about Netflix is that uh, the movies get released entirely uh, across the planet. Yeah. Um. So you can stop right now. Although I don't encourage you to stop. But stop. If you haven't watched it yet, you can stop now. <laughs> and listen, and then come on back. We're back. Wow, that was a lovely clock sound. And just sort of wrapping up our last conversation, now that they've all seen the film, and we've just talked about like different sizes of communities watching different sizes of films and being larger or smaller than we think, our community for the only podcast about movies keeps getting larger than I ever expected to. Yeah, it's always great. So thank you everyone who writes in at only movie podcast at gmail.com uh, or you can tweet at us at onlymoviepod on Twitter um, for a, a lot of stuff we've gotten in we've gotten some Venom stuff we've gotten some we've gotten some uh, a Star is Born stuff as as I think both of us predicted this is a film that's going to generate conversation I really like uh, seeing that there is a conversation around this movie that's going you know like <laughs> I'm part of a mom's group <laughs> on okay. Facebook you know because I'm a parent cool and, uh, and, and all the moms are talking about this movie and all the moms want to like are trying to figure out times that they can like Go and see this movie, uh, you know, like with uh, with daycare providers and with childcare providers. Well, slide into their DMs respectfully and give them the link to our podcast. I I I've avoided doing that. Do I, it. I, I've just do I've, it. All I've said because there's a couple of them were like, oh, should I go to a mom and me session? All I've said is I think the film is very good. I also think it's very loud. That's all I've said. Oh yeah, no, don't bring the kid to. No, it. they have they have special mommy and me sessions for a Star Is Born. But it, do they turn the sound down? I'm I'm presuming they do. So in mommy and me sessions, they they leave the the house lights up slightly, oh. and and I don't think the sound is as loud. 
Cool. Which is a, which is a, which is really nice because you know as a as a parent it's hard to get to a movie sometimes. Our, okay. our friend Stephen Buja on the Oscar Watch podcast uh, yep. often goes to those sessions, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's great. Nice. Um, but regardless, a Star is Born has generated enough conversation on our podcast uh, with a couple of emails coming in. One from Jamesa, who uh, is a, a favorite emailer of ours. We Indeed. really enjoy uh, um, her emails coming in. Um, and again, it's I think it's just a case of people wanting to. Wanting to talk about this movie after mm-hmm. having seen it, um, I want to just pick, pick and choose a couple of uh, uh, moments here. Pick away. Um, I think the thing here is uh, so this is from Jamaica. There are mixed emotion when it comes to the character of Ali. While on one hand I understand the desire to be a star, I did not like how she went about it and the dismissiveness she had towards Jack uh, uh, when she had attention from that A-hat Riz, uh, that is her <laughs> agent. Her insecurities were the driving force to losing her identity and voice of, in, in, in a voice of uh, in a sea of pop artists. Um, and I I wrote like, like again, Jamesa sent us a really lovely email. I think ninety percent of what she said uh, we are on board with. I think that was the only point where I was like, oh, I think I have a slightly different take on it, mm. um, which is that I think. The issue there was that Jack wasn't uh, Jackson. Jack, wh- Jake. What, what do you call him? Jackson. Jack. Jack. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, needed to kind of take a back seat to her career and allow her the space to kind of make her own mistakes. But that's not necessarily what the film is about. So no. I, I just you know like again I I see Jamesa's point there, but I didn't really agree with it uh, in terms of what I think needed to happen. But I. But I think what what she's mentioning there is that the film kind of sides with Jackson's assessment of what kind of artist Ali should be. Oh yeah, and because even if you look at if you look at the the stylings of her as a pop star, yeah. like it's done to be auspiciously bad. Yeah, like anyone who dabbles in music uh yeah. can see they're like and this is the most this is this is the cookie cutter's impression of a cookie cutter yeah. at this point so the film itself is definitely siding with the, just from the way it presents the story it's yeah. siding with jackson maine um but uh the, the whole him having to take a back seat to it i think i mean what he's really taking a back seat to is his own demons is his own de- and it's also his own career kind of coming yeah, to a which he's doing himself it's yeah. not yeah with which, no spoilers we yeah. don't want to give too much away with that but uh, thank you Jamesa, for that email also maya sending us an email uh with some similar comments about um Ali's ability as a pop star um, um and you know the question she asked in this email is is Ali a feminist character I think it's a little difficult to read it that way but but I think I think you could make a reading and I I kind of attempted to in an email back to her but the other thing that uh, Maya mentioned that I forgot to mention and I just want to bring it up in this podcast as well was the cinematography of the film which Mm -hmm. looked great it was shot by uh, a cinematographer by the name of Matthew Libatique Mm. whose uh, films you would have definitely seen because not only has he shot a film like A Star is Born he actually also shot Venom which came out on the same day (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, but he also shot uh, a couple of your favorite movies he shot Iron Man Iron Man 2 and he shot Mother and and, uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he shot Black Swan. So he's worked with Darren Aronofsky, and you know, on on sort of uh, more independent indie ah. films, and on film on big budget sort of blockbuster movies. Man, and on that premiere day, he must have been running back and forth from the different theaters. Wow, Star is Born into Venom. If he's taking any cues from Tom Hardy, he was probably just staying in the Star is Born theater. And like, oh no. <laughs> um, but uh, the point there was that I think uh, the cinematography was like noticeably gritty and and not. Um, 
not broad and open like I think uh, a La La Land would have been, you know, because the film, the film, while it enjoys the music, is not there to celebrate um, the scope of them as artists. It's there to kind of uh, immerse us in the emotional depth of what their music means yes. to those characters. So I think it was a really smart choice to use Libatique, and I think you know he probably chose Libatique based on um, on uh, you know something like Black Swan or Mother. Yeah. Um, so that was really great. Thanks, Maya. Also, we had another great conversation. Oh, well, not really a conversation. I just made a comment. To be honest, it was a one-sided conversation. It was a great comment that Shahir made. Just know that in an email yeah, yeah. chain to a listener, yeah. Shahir made a great comment. And I just want to bring it up because I thought it was a great comment, but it was just something again I forgot to mention, which was that I thought the Makeup in uh, in A Star Is Born was really effective. Oh yeah, um, the way that they that. they did um, Ali's makeup from the beginning to the end, where it transitioned from being kind of uh, very natural to something very highly made up, where she kind of enters pop stardom and then taking it back when she you know uh, towards the end of the film mm-hmm. for reasons we won't go into. Yeah. Uh, again, thank you listeners for those emails. Please email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Also, don't forget to leave us iTunes reviews. We've been getting a few of those recently. They re- they are the key uh, if if we are the gate key, if we are the key master, no, if we're the gatekeepers and they're the key masters, is that how it works? Yeah. Then yeah. So if you're if you're asked if you're a god, say yes. Yes, exactly. Right. I'm, I am Zul. Please write us an iTunes review if you like us, or even if you don't like us. You could just write "I am Zool" yeah. in the in the review, and then give however many stars you'd like. Yeah, I. <laughs> the real dick move would be "I am Zool" one star. Oh, I mean, I won't malign you because you're an ancient evil deity, but at the same time, dick move, ancient evil deity. Well, if Zool's plan was anything but a dick move, then it wouldn't. be I a mean, true question. to character. Yeah, true, true to character. character. All right, moving on. Paul Greengrass returns uh, after the last film he did was Captain Phillips, was it not? I believe so. Did you see Captain Phillips? I didn't. Uh, very good. Very I, that's good. what I heard. Uh, it slipped through my fingers. Um, <laughs> he was just he was dangling in front of me. It was like, oh, in the sands uh, of time and the time to see this movie. <laughs> uh, I, I, it, it will be a film, I guarantee you, and, and this happens every once in a while in my life, one that I was like, oh, I want to see it, I want to see it, forget about it, forget about it. Then there's going to be a weird serendipitous <laughs> moment where it's either playing somewhere or it's streaming or like something. It just comes up and I happen to have the time Right, and it'll be a lovely surprise, and I'll kick myself for not true to form. Though <laughs> Captain Phillips wasn't actually his last film. Jason Bourne was, and I and I had completely forgotten that he. Oh, made the a new fourth, one. Yeah, he made the fourth installment to the Jason Bourne. They supposedly return to the franchise after they kind of uh, veered off with Jeremy Renner. Uh, and then decided to come back with Matt Damon. I completely forgot about that. I also didn't see his other film, Green Zone, with with Matt Damon, uh, which I heard was very good as well. I it, one part of my brain knew that there was a 2016 uh, <laughs> Bourne film. Right. Well, the other part had literally no idea. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think I don't think you need to. I don't think anyone needs to. Uh, I mean, maybe there are, there are hardcore Jason Bourne fans uh, who could write us in and tell us why Jason Bourne, the 2016 fourth film in the franchise is the one to watch uh but greengrass has made his isn't it the fifth uh, in the franchise because they did one with renner that that was the oh yes you're right you're right this would be the fifth fifth one you're absolutely right um but but greengrass has made a career out of uh what i would call political action movies yes Uh, starting with his uh first film uh about the uh ira the bloody sunday uh moving through to Surprisingly, jumping straight into Born Supremacy, but returning to, I think, what is iconically uh, Paul Greengrass with United 93, which mm-hmm. I think is superb. Um, it's an excellent, excellent depiction. And I think if you are entrusting any filmmaker in the world with the retelling of a, of a true event, 
a true tragic event, you could do no better than Paul Greengrass because he, while he will make it, uh, while he has all the the skills to make it as exciting and tense and suspenseful as possible, as he demonstrated with his Bourne films, right? Uh, he is also smartly politically minded not to misguide the film into the wrong territory and and not to make the action overwhelm the meaning of the film. Right. Um, so you could do no better than Paul Greengrass. And this is obviously a film in what has sadly become a genre of films, uh, which is the mass shooting film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had just uh, a couple of weeks, uh, maybe a month ago, just watched uh, Denis Villeneuve's, I think it was his second or third film, Polytechnic. Um, so I, I kind of had the... Th- I was thinking a lot about mass shootings. And mass shootings in the rest of the world... I think means something different than they do in America. Uh, yeah, because America, it means it's Tuesday. Yeah, there, there's something about mass shootings in in the, on the rest of the in the rest of the planet um, that that makes mass shootings very very different to what they mean in America. Um, obviously, in America, uh, you know, emboldened by the Parkland survivors, there is a movement to you know to to, yes. to, to, to spark the conversation about mass shootings in America and why. And the question I think in America is why. Why are they so prolific? Yeah. I think the question around the world, which is the question for 22nd July, you know, 22 July, is what do they mean? Yes. Real quick, I, I know I just kind of made an, uh, <laughs> an offside thing about the must be Tuesday sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean to uh, d- 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 make, make trite out of it, but the, but the fact of the matter is that's what the current uh, United States government kind of is doing with mass shootings. And I understand it's a complicated topic, and I understand there are a lot of sides to read upon. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that, that my, my initial gut reaction comes from a very real place of no people in power not doing enough to prevent them on on our shores so um i 100 percent. i just wanted to kind of clear that up because i I felt like i I really sort of just and i and i i I agree as well as like uh, remembering that we are a movie review or a movie conversation podcast we are not uh in any way discussing the the actual politics of mass shootings right. and and the realities of mass shootings, although they will come into co- into play, but we are discussing the reaction from filmmakers to how to depict mass shootings right. and, and what the depictions of mass shootings mean. Um, so I think that's that's something interesting. I guess for American audiences, there might as you you know I, I think your response you know which is that it's just a Tuesday. It was something that was actually echoed by a survivor in a recent uh, mm-hmm. in a recent shooting in an interview. Some uh, a young girl said something like, "Well." You know, I knew it was going to happen to us eventually, which yeah. is, I think, the most the saddest thing you can say about a mass shooting. Um, but, but in that question of depiction, there there have been a fair amount of movies about mass shootings, about the fallout of mass shootings. Uh, I mentioned Polytechnic. Uh, maybe the most famous one is Gus Van Sant's film Elephant. Uh, there's obviously um, interesting sort of um, movies around mass shootings, like uh, we need to talk about Kevin, uh, Lynn Ramsey's film. In New Zealand, there was a film co- uh, about a mass shooting called, uh, it was called Out of the Blue, but it was originally called Aramoana, which is the name of the town where it took place. Um, so it's something that kind of seems to lend itself to a cinematic interpretation. But I'm curious what you think if... What do you what do you think the merits or approaches to mass shooting filmmakers could have before we even get into what Twenty Two July does? I mean, what just choosing them as a topic for a film? Choosing them for a topic for a film, but also like, what do you what do you think is interesting about the topic of mass shootings? 
for a film. If you're a filmmaker, if you're a producer, and if you, even if you're a watcher. I mean, this is this is the it's kind of the 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 crux of my I of my my two mindsness of the topic because okay. on one hand, uh, I think people, in order to you know make it so it's not you know just a Tuesday, uh, need to be confronted more and more with the horrors of these events. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one side of me, but at the same time, that can also lead to indifference because it starts to feel normal. Uh, unless you're like right in the thick of it, yeah. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, with with this film and with uh, even even uh, Michael Moore's the uh, Fahrenheit eleven nine mm-hmm. uh, and and things like it, yeah. I think they're incredibly powerful. The end to uh, Black Klansmen, uh, you know, just whatever like things with with a social message that mm-hmm. I think should be heard by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I worry that. And and specifically, I mean, I'll sort of bring it back to this film, but like, I worry that something like uh, Twenty Two July is a message that should be heard by a lot of people, but will basically be preaching to the choir, right? Um, and that's a complicated, that's a complicated thing. Now, this also might be where the Netflix equation comes in a little bit because mm-hmm. maybe, again, this is guesstimation on my part that I just mm-hmm. came up with on the spot, but maybe. More people that wouldn't like because if this is just a theater movie, right? People that disagree or that are on the you know what whatever don't want to deal with it or um, maybe side on on some more um, in, insane points uh, wouldn't go pay money and go to the movie theater to see right. this, but they might watch it on Netflix, yeah, um, because it's there and it's ostensibly free after your subscription. So, so. Maybe that's a sort of hopeful thing from it, but there is. It, I, I waffle because you don't ever want to glorify. It. We've even talked about this with war films, yeah. Like you, but, you, but we are taking it, dramatizing it, and packaging it and selling it as a high drama story, right? I think it's appropriate to try to think if the positives outweigh the negatives. Yeah. And I don't entirely know. And again, I don't want to speak as though I'm, I'm maligning the film. I think uh, just to sort of get into my thoughts of the of the initially watching it, uh, I think it was done incredibly well, incredibly respectful. Um, it 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 um it it had a very I mean it was very you know his ilk uh, Greengrass's ilk like the action was never gratuitous mm-hmm. uh, it was all in the moment and meant to make you feel like as best you can approximate what uh, you might be feeling in certain moments with, without uh, leaning on the crutches of like giant action scenes and in things and nonsense like that that like mm-hmm. you might be able to get some shortcuts to emotional responses this all felt very um very um plotted and and um very you know blatant mm-hmm. and also uh i will say the movie has a runtime of like 220 mm-hmm. i blinked and it was over right. like i it 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 moves it at a, at a highly effective pace of being uh for for such a heavy topic and i think all of the aspects uh of this film you know to its credit sort of lean into that i believe the acting is very good i believe the cinematography was the exact right sort of thing that they they needed for this story i feel like um 
the score, for instance, I don't even know if there was a score. I can't even speak to it, but I don't think that's the... If it was there, it worked well hiding itself and affecting me on another emotional level. Um, and if it wasn't there, then it was a good choice to keep it sort of living in the moment. Right. There was a score. Yeah. Uh, it was very, yeah, it's very underplayed. Though. Yeah. yeah. But, but I, but like that's a, that's a good choice. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's an incredibly powerful film. I do just wonder A, is it worth making due to the fact that it could possibly, even with all the good it can do, it could possibly even further normalize. It mm. could possibly uh, uh, just turn into another way to tell a story about a tragedy without actually offering any, um, and not that filmmakers have to, but like any possible solutions or other things. Though I will say, unlike some of the other films we've even listed here, the ending of this film, which we'll get into, I felt like was a strong statement piece even beyond the 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 regular the regular one we'd get from like a tragedy film right um and I'll talk about that more uh as we get there what about you I've, I've been yammering what what uh how did this how did this hit you when you first saw it well the thing um I think the question that I you know like initially asked there about like what do we think the value of this is is the same question I asked about war films for example um and the reason I asked that question is that I guess I guess my viewing of these kinds of films are very is very different now to you know for example when I saw Elephant for the first mm-hmm. time, um, which is that obviously I watch this as a parent now because there are children being slain. Yep. I can imagine you know um, parents of um, children that were lost in mass shootings would have an entirely different response to this particular film. And the thing that I was thinking about as I was watching it was. Do I want, if something like that was to happen to me or someone I knew, do I want the worst moment of my life to be dramatized? And do I, um, do I want it to be dramatized in a way that is suspenseful? Yeah. Because, you know, for me, you know, it, and again, this is just a sort of uh, a mental exercise here. If this had happened to me or something like this had happened right. to me, this is the worst day of my life. This is the worst pain I could ever imagine. This is the, and I don't think it's fodder for uh, dramatization. I don't think it's fodder for um, for uh, sus- exploitation for in whatever way you want to quantify exploitation, whether it's a film made for sale or whether it's actually a think piece about that. Uh, but I, as a filmmaker, know that this is the kind of material that deserve that is of interest because cinema movies are the ground for are should be the the place where we interrogate topics like this and we figure out how does it work and what what is it about it that is unique and that we should take away from and learn from in a universal way because that's what the language of film is for. So to that extent, that's that's kind of what I was thinking about in terms of like, would I want, how would I feel if I was one of the parents of uh, the victims in, uh, in the Oslo attacks? Mm-hmm. Um, Especially to the case of a film where the depiction of the killer is 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 noticeably prominent. Um, there, it should be noted that there is a there is a second film about uh, the Utoya attacks that came out at exactly the same time um, that doesn't depict the killer at all. It's a Norwegian film um, called Utoya, twenty two July. I think it's by Eric. Uh, let me just pull that up. Eric 
Potty, I believe the name is. Sorry, I've, mm-hmm. I've got that wrong. But they, the the take there is that they do a uh, a single tracking, a single take, ninety minute take of a survivor who is just hearing the events um, off in the distance. So they never, you never see the killer. You just kind of you're put in the place of being there without having to address the person. And and uh, I read an interview with uh, with that director who said uh, something along the lines is I couldn't morally justify putting the killer on screen, mm. and I think that's a really interesting take because there was one difficult thing that I found watching this film, which is that um, this killing, this mass shooting by is I, I actually I. Uh, I wish I could beep his name out. <laughs> I hope let, you know, let's we beep, can let's beep his name through, out. through the yeah. through the magic of technology. Yeah, yeah, let's beep his name out because because the the reason I want to beep his name out is that the power that is given to him is through acknowledgement. Um, and he even says in this film, it's not a spoiler, that the third attack, there were two attacks on on that fateful day. The third attack was to stand up in court and give voice to his. Uh, ideological position, right? And and in a way, does the film continue providing him a voice uh, by doing by by existing in some way, or by choosing to focus on what his ideological position, or even just just saying what his ideological position is? And there's one thing we've learned about mass shooters is that they're often inspired in copycat form. There were two or three copycat attempted killings uh, in Poland and in Czechoslovakia based on. Uh, Beep again uh, on on what he did. So I think there's a sort of interesting conversation around the right to this film to exist. I think this film should exist. I think Paul Greengrass does an amazing job. I think, you know, all those those platitudes we said about, um, you know, him, him being a master craftsman, being able to make a film like this is, is, is 100% correct. Um, I found the film incredibly difficult to endure. But I was also like, these are the kind. This is what why I love cinema is the ability to transport me into this place and to have me think about the, these kinds of issues and to have me think about the ramifications of something like this, in the hope that it offers some healing and some insight and some perspective that I, either I hadn't considered before or that allows me to kind of carry on into my into my daily life. And I think this film uh, succeeds on that in that respect uh, entirely. Um, and I think the way it does that is very fascinating because it basically takes this one event, which again, at the very beginning of the film, I found a little bit queasy. Uh, I found I found the the notion to depict uh, his actions uh, in detail a little bit nauseating, uh, and I didn't want to see it. Um, but what I think is remarkable about the movie is that it then. Uh, extrapolates the ramifications of what he did in many different facets. It looks at the political argument around it. It looks at the legal argument around it. It looks at the personal uh, consequence of it to the victims. And it looks at um, the value in giving him a voice. Um, And I think what's, you know, again, a testament to Paul Greengrass's ability as a writer and as a director is, is, is his ability to weave all of those ideas into a really compelling narrative, into a really compelling storytelling experience. Um, and it is a powerful experience, one that, you know, um, is very difficult to watch in America, is going to be even perhaps more so. I, don't, I, I wouldn't want to quantify it that way. Um, but, but is a valuable experience. Uh, and one that that actually is very very effective. I don't know. How do you feel about that? I think. Well, I, let's go back to even sort of the first. So the first part of this film is literally showing the entire plan and the uh, the execution and the murder of, of of all of those people. And um, I too felt the same way you did while watching it. 
and I initially, while watching it, this is a film that had me changing my opinion of it as it moved. Yeah, which is um, always a, a, a I would I will I will call it a welcome occurrence. Right. Um, basically. Well, especially when it ends on, on me saying like, "Yes, this I, I this was a film that I um I feel like I gained something from experiencing." Um, the there there was a, a a sort of knife's edge of of horror mm-hmm. that this film rode very well. The sh- the 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 violence was very real, mm-hmm. but never gratuitous. Um, a lot of the fear uh, came from not only what you were seeing, but a lot, a lot of way that it was edited mm-hmm. and the way it was, the shots were composed. Um, it never, it, it, it portrayed the killer um, in the exact way to sort of make act two and the, and the acts make act two of the film even more terrifying with this person. Yeah. Um, basically, trying to use their newly found and the only way to put it is platform right to to further their agenda um even to the point where like and, and, and the film shows it's an interesting thing because you know in the and I'm not sure what exactly is 100% accurate to the event and what isn't but like the prime minister of Norway was around for one of those first interrogations and yeah. then he realizes that he's there yeah. and that gives the killer sort of a, a boister of like oh like I don't I'm think in, he was in the room. He wasn't. He was in the back. But but he was in the back. He when I thought he was in another building watching a video feed. Oh, I thought he was in behind the glass because then yeah. he like had his like, is he yeah, here? Yeah, I think he, he Brivig says, is he here? But he's not. He's he's in a holding. Well, space. either way, yeah. he had a he had a message for him, and he said, "I'm listening." Yeah, and that I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, um, and I think that this to to watch sort of the machinations of a of a madman and there's also sort of the you know is he sane or is he insane yeah. uh, that that's the whole thing and we could get we're, neither of us are psychologists <laughs> so um i mean I, he is insane in the sense of uh his ideologies conflict with that of a um of society of, of an empathetic human being of an empathetic human being and mm-hmm. and an empathetic and humane society yeah um so in 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 that regard yes he is a psychopath in in that regard um, but I think that um, watching the characterization that was done in this film go through the motions of of doing the horrible act, thinking you've won in a way because of the thing you did, watching pieces come into play that you, that you that the, the killer thinks is 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 exactly what he wants, and then. Things falling apart for him, not in the way that like an an action movie or whatever would do with the villain, but in a very real world way of like the people that he was sort of counting on to continue or back him up or like whatever. Uh, And in particular, I guess we're getting into spoilers. I don't know if this even is warranted for that, but um the there's an alt-right gentleman who they interview to try to prove him sane because he wants to change his plea from uh, insanity to just guilty. Yeah. Um. Uh, he uh, basically uh, is as asked the question of you know do you think that he is a leader yeah and he's like no he's like there are many more people way more you know organized and whatever like and, and the the alt right person is trying to make a statement about you know how competent their 
their movement is, but it completely chops off at the knees what, well, what the killer is saying he's going for. Right. Uh, and you can kind of start seeing the 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 chinks in the in the armor, so to speak, at that moment, and then his mother won't come forward, and then yeah. no one will come forward, and then the incredibly moving performance by the lead actor, the survivor mm-hmm. uh, character. Um, uh, in 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 his testimony in in the scene, um, it it's highly effective in a way that I was glad the movie took this turn. Even to the very, we'll get to the end and end later. But the but the last conversation that the that our villain had with uh with his lawyer, yeah, uh, literally the last bastion of human contact this person has, um, was so telling and so. Like, it, it it gave me an overall, despite the horrors that I just saw, a catharsis about the future of society. Because we're living in a, a time of just, of, of, of stupid news punching you in the face and scaring the shit out of you. Um, and, and talks of like, you know, a, a million different people that are, that are, trying to destroy what again we think of as actual human behavior mm-hmm. um and this film at the end of it not in a not in a in a platitude way and not in a over you know a heavy-handed way but in a very um subtle and what i hope is realistic way uh basically was saying to me yes our system is flawed and people will always exploit it mm-hmm but at the end of the day, and it might be too late for a lot of people in certain cases, but as far as a society is concerned, uh, society will correct itself in, in a way. At least that's sort of the way that it 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 positioned itself in in the end of this movie for the for the killers. I'll call it the killer's journey. Right. <laughs> um, and I. I pray that that is a actually I don't pray I hope that that is a a a, a, a truthful fact I'd like to believe that the world is that and I'd like to I'd like to I choose to live my life in a way that I hopefully moves those ideals forward mm. um, and it was very nice for this film a, a film of fucking terrors to end in the way that it did. Uh, this is the and I'll, I'll close that sort of thought with this. This was the first film at the end when it put up like the the words like so and so is doing this that and the other thing where I was like so like actually ingrained and interested and wanted to like I was like what happened to the what happened to what okay okay yeah. and we're done yeah. like um it had a very beautiful finite ending to a fucking atrocity yeah um and again. The I feel like the restraint shown by the filmmakers means that this is a piece that I think will hopefully do more good than harm in the grand scheme of dramatizing tragedy. Yeah. Um. And I I I I guess that that I mean that's what I hope and that's what I believe and we will we will see. <laughs> so yeah, and in, in in terms of that first question about you know the value of this film doing good or harm, uh, I you know I think there's very f- I can't think of many examples where a film has done outward harm. Um, I think I think in most cases 
you know, films like this have done uh, are very positive. I think more harm comes from films that don't deal with mass shootings as their as their central core conceit, but deal with them sort of peripherally and yes. in a way that is kind of backhanded and, and an excuse for like action scenes or something like that. And just just to clarify my point of harm, I kind of was referring back to, for instance, if this had happened to you or the people that this had happened to is right. their worst day. Now it has turned into a film on Netflix. Yeah. That might cause them uh, uh, mental harm. Yeah, of course. But, but, but again, in, 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 this is trying to quantify the value of human emotion versus societal shifts and like all this shit. Yeah. So like, again, kind of impossible, but that's more of what I was... I don't think this film... Uh, or anything that does something like it will harm society in any way. Mm. I think what you said, the films that sort of treat things as uh, uh, throwaway or disposable in this in this ilk uh, yeah. do that. So um, I think, you know, there's an interesting... Obviously, I agree with everything you said about, you know, like the way in which this film treats this issue um, and treats the surrounding issues. And, and uh, the thing that I think is interesting, obviously, is that this is not the first time we've dealt with this person on this podcast. Uh, we, in, uh, in Michael Moore's film, Where to Invade Next, uh, they go to a prison in Norway and they talk about uh, this particular prisoner. Um, and they talk about the restorative justice system in Norway, which is very different to uh, America. And I'm reading, um, I just finished a book called uh, Just Mercy by uh, Brian Stevenson, which is about the Equal Justice Initiative, which, which tries to exonerate people on death row. Mm-hmm. And it basically talks about, you know, like the sort of punitive uh, punishment-based form of justice in America versus, um, you know, restorative justice in in other countries, and particularly Norway prison system, you know, kind of is a good example of that where, you know, prisoners are kind of taught to how are they going to re-enter into society, and they obviously don't have a death, um, death penalty in, in Norway either. Um but what I think is sort of really compelling about this film is that, again, with all that stuff sort of floating in my mind, the film is positing one of the best things I think films can do, which is that forming a dialectic which is not resolvable easily. So it's forming two opposing I- ideas that don't actually have a clear winner or loser. And I think, and I, I really enjoy when films have the sort of um, the wherewithal to try and deal with the abstract like that. And the abstract in this situation is you have a society that functions fairly well, is, has restorative justice, um, is a fairly liberal society, you know, ruled by a governing labor party, you know, um, progressive, socially, socially forward, and is confronted with an evil in the way that, you know, this, this film kind of deals with evil that challenges the very fabric of that, you know, like does, does the society have to change in response to what this person did? And does our understanding of restorative justice in a place that has no death penalty apply to something, to something where a guy willingly kills 77 people? And it's a really tricky question, you know, because like, if you think about, you know, I, like I said, I was just reading that book and, and, and my views on the death penalty, uh, were kind of reinforced, but I asked you know a couple of people around me what they think about the death penalty, and they were like, "Well, I you know generally I don't want to kill people, but I think there are people beyond um, beyond saving," and and you know it's hard to argue with someone who's experienced like you know profound loss, yeah, um, you know to to ask to deal with that, and I think that's what this film is kind of dealing with is how do you how do you reconcile profound loss. Uh, against the society that believes everyone has an opportunity. 
and and you know in the and I thought there were a couple of really interesting examples of that in this film. One is uh, one is the way uh, Gear Lips Lipstad, the lawyer, mm-hmm. has to deal with this case. Yeah. Now, there's an interesting throwaway line right at the beginning of this where um, uh, our assailant, whose name I don't want to name, um, says, I saw you uh, in a trial, you know, 10 years ago, and I knew one day I'd need a lawyer, and you were the person. And, and uh, you know, so I went and did some reading, and it was basically a neo-Nazi trial that Lipstead had, uh, had defended the assailant mm-hmm. in that case as well. And, you know, he's a progressive liberal, but with some sort of, some outlandish, well, not outlandish, but some, some sort of different ideas about the way society should be formed, who kind of get, realizes that the the way people think of him because he defended a neo-Nazi 10 years ago mm-hmm. means that now this person believes that he is the right lawyer for him. And right. It, and how profound that must be to realize that, that you know, neo-Nazis look up to you. And that's what, you know, that's what Lipstad has kind of in this case, you know, like... And I don't want to bring up current events too much, but, but what, what just happened with Taylor Swift... Yeah, being being rejected because she encouraged people to vote. Um, well, and, not even rejected. They don't like it's 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 a uh, it's they used to sort of treat her because she never said her political leanings. Yeah, um, as one of them. Yeah. and now a lot of groups on on the internet and things are are sort of uh, reeling. Yeah, because because of that, and I and I think that's a really. That's a fascinating thing. I think the I think there's more to that story about Lipstad uh, that the film doesn't quite get into, but I think mm-hmm. it does it in the ca- in the sort of uh, in a case of like how do we weigh this film correctly? And I think you know the the ending where he says uh, you know like uh, we will always beat you, my children, my children's children will always beat you, mm-hmm. um, uh, is a sort of a is a kind of a victory for the idea that this person can't crack society. They may you know, be able to throw stones and people will die, but they won't crack the foundations of a society as we understand it. Yeah. And I think that's that's really wonderful. The other side of this is the the notion that I, I think another character says, which is that you don't have you can be weak and still strong. Uh, Lara. Yeah. Yep. And and I think that's a really beautiful line because this one character, Villa uh, uh believes that he needs to demonstrate his strength uh, in order to defeat um, this person in court, and and I was kind of you know like again I don't want to suggest I know what's right and wrong in in that situation, but I was kind of thinking that what needs to happen is this person you know the 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 assailant the person mm-hmm. the, the perpetrator of this crime needs to see the ramifications of what they've done. Um, and I think they do see it, and it's a really tricky balancing act that this film does because he does become stronger, but he also uh, demonstrates, you know, he says, these are the things that have happened to me, and this is what you've taken away from me, you know? Like, I don't have the ability to, you know, I don't have much use of my left hand anymore. I'm blind in one eye. I have this piece of shrapnel mm-hmm. in my head that could kill me at any moment. I think he needs to see that because that's what's, you know, the the, the sort of foundation of almost any uh, study of uh, sociopaths and, and, you know, psychopaths is that they have very little understanding of empathy. They, you know, like everyone has radical ideological ideas, but not, but everyone understands that their ideas must be constrained by A, society and B, natural humanity. Yeah. And and sociopaths don't have that ability. You don't have to look far in the news today to see examples of that. Where? <laughs> so I think 
um, you know, that's another example. I, I, I know I'm kind of, you know, speaking very broadly here and very long, but, but what I, I, what I like about this film is that it's, it's, it's pulling a lot of strands, uh, you know, about the consequence of this action. It's not just the action itself. It's what does this action mean? It's ultimately, this is a test to a society and how does the society respond to it? You could argue that this is broad as well as that. <laughs> I'm. I think the jury's still out on how well America survived 9/11. I, 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 I think that the the there are examples where I don't. I'm not exactly sure 9/11 um, wasn't effective in some way. Oh, it was. <laughs> it was effective. I mean, yeah. look, the, the, what happened then. Uh, cause the country to galvanize behind with itself and, and do some good things and do some bad things. It It's akin to a body uh, attacking a, a virus and white blood cells like rushing in and stuff like that. But like with various types of viruses or things like that, sometimes the body overcompensates and causes a lot more problems that you didn't even realize were under the surface until this sort of thing happened. Like I think... Uh, yeah, that's an apt. That's an apt question. I think uh, in it in, in in I would say a hundred percent not entirely. And uh, yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, I, again, I don't want to. I'm in no way an expert on Norwegian politics or Norwegian uh, or, or or very much about the country of Norway. Uh, and I don't think this film is a definitive statement on the way Norway has reacted to this to, to this situation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's still an ongoing conversation, I, I think a manufactured conversation, but a conversation about the Euro uh, European immigration crisis, which is compounded by Brexit in the UK, um, that I think is the foundation for which problems occur in this film. You know, like this idea that white supremacy seems to be rearing its ugly head and it's, it's just embedded in society, I think is a very dangerous idea and it's there. Um, I just I think that this film depicts a, a, a society trying to deal with that question in a sort of uh, and and looking at the various ways it does so. And it do, I don't think it has definitive answers. I don't think it has you know like a, a, a bow at the end of this. I think it I think it is just trying to wrestle with that question. And that, and ultimately that's the kind of you know dialectic that i like in cinema you know this like there's no right answer here there's just these two opposing ideas and which you know how do we negotiate that uh, and that's why i think the film is effective yeah i think i do think it does it definitely doesn't wrap it up with a bow like there's yeah. no question you can't really do that in a film like this yeah but i do like the sentiment that it finishes on and that is uh you know the killer in the room's like, well, maybe I didn't succeed, but but people will be inspired by then. And the lawyer's like, well, we'll always beat you. Like they were like, and and you can kind of see through the every chink in in the killer's sort of armor. Um, you know, uh, if if that sentence didn't hit him entirely there, uh, it will. Yeah, and um, because because it's just that that's. That's what I have to believe. Yeah. And because if that's not true for various reasons, you could look at population with mathematical certainties of like how, you know, education versus, you know, uh, you know, tribalism versus, you know, whatever the Internet doing, whatever the Internet's doing. Yeah. Uh, I hear recurrently it's making Bowser into a sexy female version of Bowser. That seems to be what's going on. Uh, but outside of that, uh, outside of all of the factors, like we can't predict exactly where humanity will go, but... 
Yeah. As much as I, and I always make the joke like, I, I hate people. Like, I, I, people, I think people irk me. Yeah. As, as living in New York City, you got to be irked by some people. You're very close to a lot of people. But yeah. I do believe that when, when, when push comes to shove, people and the societies that are made up of them uh, are, are, I won't say good because good and evil is an odd, an odd concept that you can sort of whip around. I will say has a desire to persevere and give and, and be um, pro uh, profitable or I don't know what the word is, but like uh, be a good place for humans to thrive. Yeah. And, it's these offshoots uh, that think they have a better way based around uh, whatever their fucking soup du jour of choosing is. Yeah. Or or the fear of which something uh, is coming to get them. Yeah, I think I think is, the, yeah. the, the thing you're getting at there is does a film does a film appeal to our nihilism or our optimism? This film appealed to I mean and, and films do both. Yeah. Uh, and this film had a real nihilistic hit for me for about the first two thirds, yeah. and then it did an upswing for optimism. Right. Um, and that is a rare thing for a film to be able to do to me. Right. Uh, and it's why I think I guess this is my final thought. I think uh, I think this is a hundred percent worth if you've been sitting here listening to this entire thing and you hadn't watched it yet. Uh, even even though you know the history and you kind of know the answer, the the moments in this are incredibly powerful. And and oh, this is something just sort of on the filmmaking side that I want to touch on before I close. Something that assists and is really kind of the hidden MVP of this film is the way it depicts. The survivors, we've been talking a lot about the killer story, the survivor's story and the family of that and how it's been going for him and them. Yeah. It's incredibly humanizing. You're seeing a slice of life behind stuff that's not overly dramatized. Like there's some problems with the younger brother that survives, but you don't really get into it. It's just he's generally shell-shocked and completely understandable. They don't like fetishize that or like try to make it like a real thing. Um, and the and the friendship uh, the main survivor and, and Laura have is is beautiful and realistic and very human like even and it was lovely because you could tell they had a genuine like sort of like that almost like if nothing had happened on the island based on the way it was shot like you could tell that they were a little bit into each other yeah. and now that this has happened their bond has changed and shifted but it's become stronger so like through tragedy we then come together that's the hopeful idea yeah. so small moments like that throughout the film help really solidify what uh, what you coined sort of as the optimism in the third act and right. i think uh i think it's worth everyone to take a morning afternoon or evening and uh check it out yeah so i i think there's the conversation that's interesting around this film is that should the killer be given a voice given that he says at some point his his goal is to have a voice you know and what we've seen in um I think in mass shootings, in at least my understanding of mass shootings, is that the perpetrator usually feels impotent in some way in terms of having a voice. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think that this film kind of has has that really tricky ground to to sort of to to, to stand on, which is that they wanted to they don't want to shy away from what it is this person did, but don't necessarily want to give them a platform to discuss. And I I think. The reason that's interesting is I, I would argue that what's happening in, in modern politics right now is fringe ideas are being given platforms in the, in the hope of being fair and balanced, I guess is the phrase that you would use. And the, 
the counter argument is some fringe ideas are not worth discussing. Now, that's tricky because I believe in freedom of speech and, you know, there's a conversation going around right now about, like, allowing white supremacists to be, you know, to have speaking venues on college campuses and, um, you know, that sort of thing. And, and you could argue that those, those that kind of, if, you know, that, that idea of, like, everyone being able to speak lends itself to more people being inspired by fringe ideas. And that's a tricky thing this film has to deal with. And I think, I think... I, I hope that the the gambit the gamble that this film does, uh, unlike the other film about Utoi, came out at the exact same time, you know, pays off because it allows our response about those negative ideas to be optimistic because it shows the consequence of those ideas. Um, it's a very very tricky balancing ground. It's something that I think is really unique. Um, there are a couple of other films. Uh, there's a film by Krzysztof Krasowski uh, called A Short Film About Killing, which kind of deals in the same way, which is about a crime versus its its consequence. Um, and and I think you know like th that's a very difficult thing to do. It's very 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 difficult. Yeah. And what what I like about seeing Paul Greengrass do it, uh, you know. Uh, in, I, I really enjoyed Captain Phillips. I think Captain Phillips is kind of a, a fantastic thrill ride of misery. No good. Um, as is United ninety three. I think it's a it it somehow depicts the immediacy of dealing with tragedy. Um, what's What's great about this film uh, is that all that sort of talent and ability he has to harness. The handheld camera, the the sort of immediacy of of tragedy happening in front of you, and never being able to lose your focus, mm -hmm. he he then shifts all of that into consequence for for two thirds of this film, and he's just as invested in the drama of the consequence of these actions from 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 all angles, from the political fallout, from the legal fallout. I think the legal questions around this film are fascinating. Yeah, like you know, do you give him a venue to speak? Is he criminally insane? What do we do in a society that doesn't believe in the death penalty? and restorative justice, how do they deal with someone who is so immediately, obviously, uh, uh, criminally not, not suited for that society? Right. You know, like, how do you, how do you navigate that? And I think it's a real testament to that, to, to like, the, the human and emotion response to this, to this event. I think, I think this film is fascinating. I can completely understand if, if, if this is happen to you or someone you know or is in the ether which in the United States is mm -hmm. that that just seeing this talked about is or just seeing that this is the topic of this film is enough to turn you off and say look I just don't need to see this I I completely understand that but I think the power of cinema the power of filmmaking the power of of movies like this is that they allow us to confront them in a in a safe theoretical way and and I hope Fuck, this is a weird statement to say. Uh, I hope I never have to confront anything like this, but I hope that if 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 something like this were to happen around me, I demonstrated some dignity. The the same that this film would help me through that. Mm. That's a really weird thing to say. I, I hate I, I hated of, saying that know, out loud. Um, I, I get you're I I get I get what you're saying. You're you're hoping that there is a. Um, that there is a if something t absolutely fucking horrendous like this has had to occur, not that it had to, but d did occur, uh, that there would be, you know, something like uh, either this film or something along the lines that would help sort of prevent further occurrences. Would... It's not just the film; it's the people in this film demonstrated dignity 
that I is see. that is that is profound that I don't I don't know you like you you never you don't know if you are capable of that kind of dignity right. unless you're tested. Yes, 100%. And and, and I don't know. I'll say it flat out. I don't know if I'm capable of right. that kind of yeah. dignity. Yeah. No. Um and and that that's an interesting way to look at this film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been the only podcast about the film 22 July. Uh, it, it came out today on the day we're recording this. Yeah, the 10th of October. Uh, uh yep. So, uh, it, you know, but you'll be hearing our thing, what, Monday? So hopefully a lot of you will have watched it by then. Um, Shahir, when you're not finding films that makes it incredibly difficult for me to do some sort of balancing act of asking where folks can find you, where can <laughs> folks find you? You can find me on my website, www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Um, Matt, when I am equally... Uh, dumbfounded on like the balancing act of not telling a joke in the face of such tragedy. How can I hand this over to you to, 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 to plug your podcast, your I website? Will, I will happily take it uh, and just tell you that you can find me at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. Also, check out all the good works that we're doing over on Extra Credits uh, on the YouTubes. And uh, yeah, uh, next week, uh, I think we're, are we doing Royale? Are we doing Royale next week? We got the dates mixed up a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I would, I, I would like to do Royale. There are a couple of other big films coming out around the What exact... else is happening? Oh, I've, I've forgot. I've got... <laughs> well, they can't be that big. Uh, no, you completely stunted me now. <laughs> uh, there was, there wasn't, I was like, oh yeah, First Man. First Man's coming out. I'd rather do Royale, but we'll, we'll do a Paper, Rock, Scissors after this and we'll figure I, out what I we want to do. I think we have to do First Man. I think we have to. Oh, okay. I mean... What? How could we not do First Man? I mean, we we could not do First Man. I, I mean, we don't have to not do First Man. Yeah, I just feel like First Man is going to be a film that generates a lot of conversation that we're gonna have to engage. And I want to see it. I like Damien Chazelle. So okay, you all know, right. Like, hey, listen, it'll be. Yeah. Listeners, you're just going to have to tune in next week <laughs> to see what we come up with. <laughs> if, I, I'm pretty... Look, I definitely want to do Bad Times at El Royale. I, I think First Man is one that we will be doing at some point. So it's it's not like any, it's not like doing one discounts the other. Yeah. We're, it's, it's isn't, this isn't Battle Royale. This isn't the Royal Rumble here. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, until then, thank you for listening. Email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com, and we will talk to you next week. Perhaps at the Royale or perhaps on the moon. Ooh. <laughs> such fun venues. Yeah. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.